many memories have come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails the feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stopped talking and just stared at the radio. Like, what is that? It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it. I love that song so much. Box. Meet people through their music with Ash Berdebez on FBI. Hooray for Alex Pye. Doing another wonderful mornings. As always, you can find all the tracks that she's played throughout the last three hours on the FBI radio website. Programs and playlists is where you go to see what she's been playing. And today, my guest on Out of the Box is Newtown's Fire Chief. And no, it's not just because I wanted to get one of those like impossibly, preposterously ripped fireman calendar dudes on the show. This guy is Matt Murphy, and he's a fire chief, but he's also a bit of a history nerd and has a book out about the dastardly doings of shady convicts in 1850s Newtown. Welcome on Out of the Box, Matt. Hi, Ash. Thanks for having me. No worries. Hey, so I did want to ask you, have you ever been contacted as being like part of one of those calendar shoots? Is that like a Newtown fire station thing? I, I get asked that a lot. If there was 13 months of the year, I reckon I'd make the cut. I always just miss out. <laughs> but but I, I got hi, hi to Hugh. We've got a guy at our station who, with his twin brother, is in next year's calendar year. Oh, and, that's amazing. And he's already popular. He's already been picked up on social media and stuff, and him and his brother are in the Telegraph. And yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You must be so proud. <laughs> oh, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a great guy, great fireman too. But yeah, to have him sort of be around him when he's taking the calls or when he's at the front of the station and people taking photographs of him, like, you know, it's like a little mini celebrity, you know. And he's not even on the calendar yet. It's not until next year. <laughs> people have got like the advanced edition. Exactly, yeah. What was the process like for you putting this list together? It was difficult. You told me, told me you can only do eight songs, and that was very, very hard and then my, my partner and my kids they insisted on having their input you know there's no clash in this eight songs which I'm, I've been listening to the clash all week sort of to make up for that yeah I feel I feel embarrassed I feel dirty it's okay they don't know about it we won't <laughs> tell them so uh, our first track for the hour is by Goon Sax and how did you come across this one well my daughter told me about the Goon Sax and uh, she sent me a link a YouTube clip something like that and they look pretty cool and I put Chainsaw playing at the Sand. I still call it the Sando because I'm still an old man. They're playing at the Newtown Social Club like a fortnight after, and I went and had a look. And they'll support our Flower Truck, who my partner loves Flower Truck, local band as well. But they were just great. And, but the thing was, they sounded like the Gubber Tweens, and they looked like the Gubber Tweens. There's a tall, skinny guy on guitar, a little stocky guy on bass, and a blonde girl on drums. So they looked like, and they sounded like the Gubber Tweens. And it was only, only about a fortnight ago I realised that tall, skinny guy is the son of Robert Foster, the Gubber Tween. So that's. It's a bit of a strange coincidence. It's not, not a coincidence. It's like, oh. who, you know, who, who, you know, is this really just a band? It's just, it's just a go betweens covers band, really. <laughs> They're just passing on the torch. That's right. It's but a good torch. But, but they were fantastic. They were absolutely fantastic. I was gobsmacked. It was like, I, was, I was like a 20-year-old kid again going to a go betweens gig. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. You're listening to FBI 94.5 Out of the Boxes on the radio right now. I'm with Matt Murphy and here's the Goon Sacks with Boyfriend. Love him all night And we can break your heart So 
tuned into FBI 94.5. My name's Ash Berdebez and my guest on Out of the Box today is Matt Murphy and he brought in that track from the Goon Sacks, Boyfriend is what it's called. And uh, that was that was on the great tradition of daughters showing their fathers good music. And uh, our next track well, is going to be... it's reciprocating, it's reciprocating, you know. I've, I've shown her more than she's shown me. She's still way, exactly. way she's behind. She's still trying to catch up on her debt. Yeah. Repay she, that She does debt. boast she's got more Joy Division albums than I have though. Yeah, but at the same time you've got a bit of a debt to your dad because our next track's going to be yes. a, bit of a, a bit of Devo. Tell yeah. me a bit about this song. Well, my dad's my dad's musical taste is mine is is different. He's a bit of a heavy metal sort of guy, but he he um, loves the Rolling Stones and he'd always bring albums home and get very excited and put you know, the vinyl record on the turntable and stuff. So Matt, 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 you know, I'm like 10, 12 years old. Listen to this, listen to this. I'll go, it'll go up full ball on the stereo. But there's one song that really grabbed me of his, and it was, it was this one. Um, because it's it's an old Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. But Which I originally thought it was a Britney Spears song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. <laughs> no, no, you're showing your age. Right? I know, right? Ooh. But um, this version of, of a classic song, I mean, everyone knows Satisfaction by Rolling Stones. This version, it's still like, what, 30, 35 years later now, it's still like, wow, this is this is, this is a Stones song, but it's been covered. Um, Devo, of course, this is off their first album, of course, everyone knows Devo's Whip It and Freedom of Choice, but um, yeah, their first album is worth a listen. When they were less All you weird. young whippersnappers out there, I've got to listen to Devo's first album. <laughs> listen in whippersnappers on FBI 94.5, it's Devo. <laughs>
You're listening to FBI 94.5. That was a bit of Devo on your radio, a bit of a classic one. And uh, I'm joined by Matt Murphy in the studio today. He's a Newtown fire chief. So what's the difference between a chief and a firefighter? Fire well, chief. I'm, well, I'm the boss. i got three guys, four guys sometimes who work with me. Um, the biggest difference, I think, uh, is, is, is that when we go to a house fire, they go inside and I'll just stand out in the front and yell and scream a lot. <laughs> Great, that's the best job ever, and the best I, I title for the best job ever. I, I coordinate, I yeah. coordinate, and liaise, and uh, yeah, do all the logistics and all those big words, yeah, and they actually get dirty, yeah. I see, yeah. yeah. So they're, that's they're that's the ones that. lifting people out of fires and being heroic, that's, well, and you're going, ah! yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yelling at them to do that, yeah. I mean, if, if push comes to shove, I do that too. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's primarily so it's, that's their job. I've got my job. That's their job. Good yeah. system. And I, I was uh, I was going to bring up because. Um, the, the way that people can tell Newtown Fire Station apart from other fire stations is because they've kind of made quite good use of their, their fire notice sign, you know, the kind of notice sign they have out the front of schools sure. and, and, you know, churches and stuff like that. You've got one of those. And you've had some really amazing things written on there in the past, you know, kind of things that are very much like community notices. Like, uh, I think on International Women's Day, you had a woman's places in the boardroom, Parliament and the fire station. And on, on the day Prince died, you had today's forecast, cloudy with a chance of purple rain, and a bunch of other things that are kind of, you know, based on what's, yeah. what's going on right now. So how did that start? Uh, well, first, uh, well, it started it started with the, those buffaloes, those bloody buffaloes running down King Street, which people still remind us of. What happened with the buffaloes, though, for people who aren't in who on don't it? know? Yeah, um, I didn't know either. I was I, I worked part time as a casual teacher, and I um I was getting all these text messages in my pocket while I'm trying to teach. I'm looking at my phone, and, and um it says, Matt, can you tell us about the buffaloes? <laughs> and I I didn't know, and I, so I found out more or less how everyone else found out. But basically, uh, another crew at work were coming back from a fire call and saw two buffaloes running down King Street. Where'd they come from? They came from. Sydney Park, apparently, there was some Koreans filming an advertisement in Sydney Park and they had a, had a fence and the fence wasn't closed or fell down or something like that. So these buffaloes ran the full length of King Street, just in, in, in two, you know, two by two, just two of them, two by two, um, up, up King Street. And then they turned, what is it, left into Missenden Road and then right into Carillion Street and they got caught there. But yeah, the fire brigade actually sort of used a ladder to fence them off and held them into a holding pen until the... The cavalry arrived. Oh, that's smart. And um, so, so our, our sign got delivered like that week. And so um, and we got all these guidelines, what to put on the sign, what not to put on the sign. But that was just disregarded. And the guy, the, the SO station officer, just put um, days without Buffalo incident five. And it, it, was, <laughs> it was incredibly popular because it, and people still ringing about the buffaloes and stuff. And it, on the Buffalo anniversary date, we still we put the sign back up again you know, for that. <laughs> But then about a fortnight after that, or maybe not long after that again, no, it was, it was uh, the Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras week, and they changed the sign to say, um, fires don't discriminate and neither do we. And that went viral. That went that, that really picked off big time. Yeah, no, even in, in the US, you've got people call, you yeah. know, finding out about it. But actually, I guess there's probably a bit of a downside to people so far away seeing such messages, because when you keep it in the community, Newtown as a community gets it. They get, they get it, they get right. From a political perspective, from a kind of what's in the news perspective, from a local perspective, they get it. But mm. what happens? when you go kind of viral with that we stuff. Get, we get, all it, all it takes is one homophobe in Arkansas and we get in a lot of trouble, yeah. That's yep. basically what it boils down to. We've, uh, the science supporting women, uh, the science supporting Aboriginality, the science supporting homosexuality, you know, all it takes is one person somewhere that says, because we don't just have the sign now, it's also the sign and us have got our own Facebook page. And um, so, of course, now our reach is much bigger. And, um, yeah, so... All it takes is all it takes is one person to not like it, and suddenly I'm, I'm getting my my bosses telling me, "Oh, don't do that again." At the same time, saying, 
do it again. <laughs> it's very it's very conflicting. So that the sign is sort of dying a natural death at the moment because we're sick of um. Oh no. Well, yeah, it's very contradictory. I've told my boss until you guys can sort out whether you want me to when, want us to do the sign or not. It's it's got a yeah because it's getting yeah. too problematic. Yeah. Bureaucracy, man. Yes, it's it's a sh- it's a shame. Yeah, because it's, it's good. It's been good fun. It's it's drawn people to the station. The amount of people contacting the station uh, about fire safety and stuff, which is what it's, what, what what we're all doing. What it's all about ultimately. Why? Why fantastic. do you reckon the signs done that though? Like why because, is the sign because done it's that? Mystified what we do. I mean, people, I mean, I'm just a guy, you know. People think firemen are some sort of not untouchable, but you know, like people don't realise you can just knock on a fire station door or press the bell and, and, and ask a question, or you can ring them up and ask a question about something. You can get them come around to the house and say, "I think there's a my PowerPoint keeps playing up." You know, well, come have a look. That's what we do, and I think it's important that people know that. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, with doing all that kind of stuff, people being able to come into the station, you must kind of have a good idea about what is one of the most uh, kind of predominant fire risks, like the unlikely ones, little weird ones. What kind of things do you see? There are two things that we warn people about a lot. (laughs) Well, three if you include no smoke alarms. I'll get to that. But the the one, my big bugbears are lint in the dryer. People don't, a lot of people don't realise your your clothes dryer has a lint. Catcher? Catcher, thank you. A lint catcher, lint filter. And uh, then they've got to empty it out. It takes two, it's nothing, nothing to empty. But if you leave that lint in there, that's such a, Dangerously flammable substance, you know, and all get is a bit of static from clothes and whooshka up it goes. And wow. we get we go to a lot. When I say a lot, I'm not so I can, you know, it's not a daily, not a weekly occurrence. But the amount of times we go into a clothes dryer, and and, and you know, it, the fire's often not very big, but the smoke damage it causes to the house is quite can be quite phenomenal, you know. And when, once smoke gets into a house, it gets into your curtains, gets into your clothes, gets into the fabrics and stuff, you know. Yeah, everything it smells stinks like, for months, years, you know. Um, so that, that's one. People just don't realise that they've got a filter. The second one, though, is a much more modern phenomenon. Is that is um, uh, PowerPoints, the big long, um, what do you call those? Things? Multi-power Multi- adapters, with, yeah. yeah. With the, like people plugging in about ten things into one socket, you know. Yeah. And then and then dust gets on that, and it, gets, it goes behind the couch, and then the couch moves, or someone spills a glass, or something like that, and it can take out everything. And, and like, the couch is flammable, so you've got suddenly got an electrical uh, spark behind, covered in dust behind a couch. Um, and we're getting lots of fires caused by um, double adapters and triple adapters and quadruple adapters. But that, that should, simply shouldn't be any. Is it usually a certain type of person that has so many adapters in one spot? Um, no. No, it's just no. it's everyone. It's, it's, it's everyone. not like illegal accommodations with like six people living in one room. Uh, I, know, I know what you're asking, Ash, but not not really. People just don't really. I mean, at my house, at everyone's house, everyone's got printers and phones and everything's plugged in now, and stereos and TVs and Xboxes and stuff. And so you know, these power boards weren't as used as much as they are now because of all the electrical gadgetry we've got. Yeah. And um, as I said, people, you know, and they're ugly to look at, so people can tuck them behind the couch or tuck them behind a, a speaky cabinet and they don't. And there's dust and the, and the, the, um, the uh, plug might not be in properly, so there might be, there's a chance of arcing, a chance of a spark. Hmm. Um, if someone yes. wants to design something and make a lot of money, make attractive-looking adapters, you well, know, yeah, all, uh, the, or the, the, a good the, way of hiding them safely. The adapter's fine. It's, all those wires come out of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Behind my, I, I know behind my TV at the moment there's, yeah, that's, just, that's where I hide mine, behind the TV. It's, it's just a mess, you know? Yeah. yeah. So being at the Newtown Fire Station, I assume you've got very particular um, problems trying to get around that area because the back streets of Erskineville, for example, ridiculously, like, very, very narrow. Couldn't get down there on a bloody bike sometimes. <laughs> but, I mean, you're driving around in a massive, massive fire truck. I don't drive. I sit in the front I sit in the front passenger seat. I'm the guy with white knuckles in the front passenger seat. <laughs> but I, t- I take your point. With, there's been at least two occasions that I've personally done been attended to a house fire and we couldn't get there because we couldn't turn the corner 
uh, to get, get down the street and we've had to run down the street carrying hoses and standpipes and branches. Um, and we encourage people all the time, you know, don't park too close to the corner. There's a reason why you're not allowed to park on the corner. That's why big trucks, garbage trucks and fire engines can turn the corner. Um, and there's been two occasions we've had to run about 100 metres carrying stuff. Wow. Um, not good, not good, yep. Definitely not good for the person whose house is burning down. No, exactly, yeah. Well, I was thinking we'd play something from uh, What's So Not. So you brought this track on. Yeah. Where did yeah, you find this one? You know where I found this one. <laughs> I know full well. This, this, this song is, uh, most songs I'm playing today are favourite songs. This is not, to be frank. And um, But we, we're coming back from a fire call. We're crawling back up King Street in traffic, and this song came on the radio. It starts off slow, but then this pretty wicked sort of drum beat kicks in. And my driver just turned it up full blast and we wound all the windows down. And everyone's just, and, 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 but my driver said, Dave just said, everyone just looks straight ahead, don't do anything. And, we, and everyone's looking at this fire engine, this pumping steering, and we're just still completely nonchalant about it all. <laughs> but the guy in the back, Hugh, who's in the calendar, he loved the song so much, he, he downloaded it, he got and downloaded it. And now, any opportunity he gets, he plays it on his phone or plugs his phone into the, into the stereo of the pump and we play, we play it. It's, like, I think it's, like, it's almost like a victory lap when we come back from a fire call, you know, putting a garbage bin out, he plays it like a little victory tune, yeah. <laughs> So good. On FBI 94.5, my guest today is Matt Murphy. My name's Ash Bertabez. You're now out of the box.
totally picturing a fire engine going down the street. All these guys sitting in it, acting like nothing's up, playing this song. Yeah, we've done it a couple of times. <laughs> so good. Uh, my guest and out of the box today is fi- Fire Chief at Newtown Station and a bit of a, a bit of an author, a bit of an historian, Matt Murphy. And that was what no- what's so not with arrows. So, um. I guess you've probably in your what twenty years of firefighting. Twenty eight. Twenty eight. Jeez. Yeah. I don't look it, do I? No, you're <laughs> fresh as the fresh as a daisy. Um, so I was going to ask you what kind of you know. There's probably a bazillion stories that have come up mm-hmm. in your time. For example, like cooking fires. Like why do people abandon their cooking? You'd be amazed to me if people abandon their cooking. A lot of people, I don't, well, like they go to work, they go, to, you know, but they don't realise it's the, the water's boiled down. With the amount of time, we've often, often, often go to a house and kick the door and only because they've got a huge, and when we're huge, we're talking huge pot on the stove with a lot of dead animal bits and pieces in the bottom of it. But um, there was one in particular event years ago in Leichhardt, years and years ago, and we, you could smell the, the, the foodstuffs, as we call it, on the stove, and we're trying to get access to this house. The, the smoke alarm's going off, nice and loud, and we're trying to get in, and you could, and you could see through the window that there was a, a kitchen and a, and a pan with some what we later found out was sausages in this pan. And, um, and we're trying to get access to this house. And so, we, again, we're looking around. To, you, you try to get access to a house without breaking too much, you know? And looking through windows, we could see a guy lying on top of his bed with his pants around his ankles. And um, he's just been pleasuring himself. And he's fallen asleep. <laughs> and so we, we, we knocked on, on his window. And it, suddenly he gets up realises where he is, realises his pants are on his ankles, realises he's sprung, the fire alarm's going off, the room's full of smoke. The poor guy was so embarrassed. Just, yeah. Oh, my God. Hey, when that happens, just, when, yeah. when someone's had like a massive cooking fire, do you actually have to pay for the, the kind of uh, call-out of the fire no. people? So it's, no, it's, it's a government but, service. But we're, we're a government service. Yeah, there's no, I there's guess no you don't want to, you know, people who can't afford it just be like, yeah. fine, let I think, the guy, I think the guy's embarrassed enough without being said <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. Fair enough. So luckily you had a smoke alarm because you've been to a few, uh, a lot of calls, I'm assuming, there were no smoke alarms because I think especially, you know, you're in Newtown, right? Mm. So lots of renters, lots of share houses, lots of people who kind of refuse to take responsibility for installing one. Yeah, a lot, a lot of, it is true. It's, a, it's the landlord's responsibility to provide a smoke alarm. That, that's true. And, and maintain the smoke alarm and replace a battery in it and make sure it works. All those things are true. Um, but to cut a long story short, they're nine bucks and they save lives. And, um, and and renters should just do it themselves if they if they have to you know it's, it's, you can't rely on your landlord if you have to you just put it up yourself for nine bucks put it in the ceiling and I was, I, I was, I was saying to you off air Ash that you know if you're, you live in a share house you bring your toothbrush with you you bring your cupboards with you you bring your bed just take your smoke alarm with you and when you move out take the smoke alarm and put it back up in a new place mm-hmm. you know um, we go to we go to a lot far too many fire farm places often it, thankfully this fire is usually quite small. But, um, you know, I say, where's your smoke alarm? He says, oh, we haven't got smoke alarms. The landlord won't bloody put them in. But yeah. at the same time, really small fires can do, still do, like, a lot of damage. You went to one in Cam- Camperdown, Camperdown yeah. not too long ago. What, what was the case it was, there? It, well, it was a while ago, but it's, it's something I've, I've told all my friends. It's a, it's a great warning story. It's a terrible story. But this girl came out from clubbing one night. It was midnight, one in the morning. And she opened the door to a unit. And it was full of smoke. Her, her entire unit's full of smoke. So she slammed the door closed, rang the fire brigade. We turned up. We entered the into the unit, and this unit was full of smoke. I mean, we're talking chockers full of smoke. You couldn't see a hand in front of your face. And um, uh, we we asked her, "Is there anyone home?" She says, "No, my my friend is at her boyfriend's place for the night." And what caused the fire? What caused the fire was was almost nothing. It was a t- the television blew out, and uh, what 
what actually caused it, I don't know, but the fire itself was contained to the, to the TV and just part of the bookcase the TV was in. You could put it, we put it out with a hose, but in, in hindsight, you could put it out with like a bucket of water. It was nothing. And such a small fire filled this whole unit with smoke. And what this girl didn't realise was that her girlfriend, her friend and her friend's boyfriend were actually upstairs in bed. So they're not with us anymore. And um, so a, a smoke alarm there would have woken them up and got them out of the house. It's such a simple but sad story. And you think and that if you smell smoke, you'd probably wake up. People don't wake up. You're asleep. Yeah. And yeah, they, they just they slept right through it. And, and, and that's it. And so simple. And we're, talk, we're not talking about a huge catastrophic house fire. We're talking about the back of a TV blowing out. The bookcase it was in was still completely standing. No one's no one's really at fault in that situation. It's just well, a massive as, as tragedy, I said, really. As I said, it could have been caused by, again, a PowerPoint yeah. down the back of the TV. It could have been caused by some water. Um or the TV itself blowing up. I, I don't know. Fire investigators went in. We often, at just at local station level, never find out the, the answers to these things. But, um, yeah, it was such a simple fire that took out two people's lives so simply and so meaninglessly, you know. Yeah. No fire alarm. Simple. $9, best you'll ever spend. It's a spend, great investment. You know? yeah. They used to be expensive, but they're simply not now. They can get them in any, any hardware shop. I think most supermarkets have them as well. And it's also bucks. against the law not to have them, and, isn't and it? It's, and simply against the law not to have them, yeah. So it's mm-hmm. been the law now for 10 years. Actually, if I, if I can plug for fire brigade nowadays trying to in, encourage people to actually change their smoke alarm, not just change their smoke alarm battery because 10 years, the, the smoke alarm might be getting a bit dodgy itself, so it might be worth changing the Yeah, especially the when alarm it's in itself. the kitchen because they're like full of oil from well, you don't put smoke alarms in the kitchen. You put smoke alarms where you sleep. You don't put smoke alarms in the kitchen. Smart. Yeah. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, so. that was that was one in a block of flats. Yeah. Um, are they a massive hazard as far as fires go, blocks of flats? Are they really hard to deal with? Um, not... Not gen- Well, a fire is a fire is a fire. Sometimes the, the hardest part for us is getting access to a fire. Often the hardest part is getting access to a fire. Um... And if you, if you live on the third floor, it means we've got to run hoses up three floors or there's a fire hose on the third floor, but it's going to be primed, uh, boosted. Um, so those, those, those sort of issues do exist. Um, a, lot, a lot of modern-day blocks of units, they've got steel frame doors as well, which we've got to try to knock down. They're not as easy as my front door. Um, so there's, there's those sorts of issues. And of course, high, high up, there's no window you can just kick in um, to get into. Um, but again, fire alarms are there for a reason. They alert not just the, the resident, but they alert, they alert the um, everyone who lives in the on the same floor as them. Um, the fire detector down, uh, board downstairs tells us what, what floor to go to to find the seat of the fire, to find the, the location of the fire or the smoke. Um, so, yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, there's lots of high-rise around, but there's, there's fire safety devices built into the building code to ensure that, you know, to minimise the dangers, minimise minimize the risks, yeah. What's one of the more memorable fires you've been to oh. in, in an apartment? In an apartment block. Yeah. There, there was one... Um, I'd only become an officer only just like two months before. It was about 10 years ago, and we had this call to a, a unit of light in Waterloo, Redfern. And this woman, this, 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 this bal- when, we, when we turned up there, you could see there was a balcony, well alight, about the second floor, sort of just out of, you know, you needed a small ladder to get to this, this second floor balcony. And the, the balcony was well alight. So while my crew went up to have a look at it, I went around to knock on the front door. And uh, knocked on the door, and this woman woke up saw the fire in her balcony and, and freaked out. I could, it took me a while to actually get her to open the door because she was so freaked out. Um, my crew by, by then had radioed me and said, it's just a mattress. There's a mattress on the, on the balcony and they'd put it out. I hadn't got, hadn't got into the building. <coughs> and uh, but this, this woman eventually opened the door. She couldn't speak a word of English. She was like Eastern European, uh, frantic with no English. And I'm trying to ask her, so 
why is there a mattress here and do you sleep out here or do you smoke and we do, is it, do, we, do you smoke out here and do you sleep out here or who sleeps out here? And she was very frantic and it took, a, took quite a while to realise that a second crew turned up to the fire and they actually found out that the, the mattress wasn't hers. About five or six floors up from her, someone had a fire on their mattress and they threw it off the balcony <laughs> and it landed on her balcony. So the poor woman who didn't speak English had no idea where this mattress had come from. <laughs> <laughs> so I, then I had to try to explain to her, the mattress has come from the sixth floor. You know, but, oh, um, my God, flew all the way down. Yeah, just, and the wind pushed. But look, it was like perfectly sitting on a balcony. It wasn't leaning. Or like that it was like sitting perfectly on a balcony like someone had put it there. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of funny because I would assume that, you know, you'd, you'd throw it down and it would just kind of hit the floor. Yeah, no, <laughs> just landed perfectly. Politely there. Like a log was meant to be there, yeah. <laughs> and I guess everyone would probably throw it off their balcony if they had well, an apartment. in hindsight, I, I, I mean, sense. yeah, I mean, what else are you going to do with it? I mean, yeah, I mean, mattresses, when they, once they catch light, they really can take off very quickly. Mm. Um, so, I mean... So you wouldn't recommend against it? I would, I'm trying to think of an alternative, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, you're not going to drag it, you could drag it in the kitchen and throw buckets of water on it. Throw but, it harder. <laughs> throw, throw it further away. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a song in a second. It is, uh, it is by Parquet Courts, and it's You've Got Me Wondering Now. Now, where'd you find this song? Um, I just love guitar, bass and drums. Um, you asked me to choose eight songs and I just chose this one because I like it. There's no other reason. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, I, as an old dude, I find a lot of modern music um, uh, just hard to take. It's, it's really good to see, just see really good rock bands just doing good, standard, you know, great pop songs, well-written, well-crafted, catchy little pop tunes. Awesome. So um, I, love this, I love this band. Yeah, and I, it's just a great song. And extra to the uh, guitar, bass, and drums, you've got a little bit of ocarina in this one, so there is two. Yeah, yeah. Get into well, it. yeah, yeah. It's an FBI ninety four point five. Matt Murphy's my guest today.
listening to FBI 94.5. My guest man out of the box today is Matt Murphy. He's a fire chief in Newtown and also a bit of an historian. But you were just relaying a bit of a story to me off air a moment ago, and I feel like people people need to know. Yeah, well, you, you would ask me some for some stories and stuff, and only, I, only this one just came to me, but we had a fire in Leichhardt. I'm going back at least 15 years ago, but I was with my, my boss and I at the time were doing a search upstairs. And as I said, um, pitch black, full of smoke, lots of heat. Um, and also we pull the power as well. So if there is a light switch, you, you can't turn it on. And um, but we're not sure if there's a body or two upstairs in this bedroom. And um, he, we're, hold, we're sort of holding hands as we, as we crawl through the room and stuff. And you can't really talk. You're sort of talking like this through the microphone, through the speakers and through your um, breathing set. And he grabs me and says, Matt, Matt, over here, I've got someone over here. And he, he, he grabbed this, this arm and with, on, on this bed, we could find the bed, but we couldn't find the rest of the body. He just had an arm. And what? It was, what? <laughs> he just had, he just, he, well, he just had an arm, but when the smoke all settled, we realised there was no one in the room at all and all he'd grabbed was a really big dildo. <laughs> and he's waving it around trying to find the body attached Did you to save it. it? Did you save no, the no, dildo? No, no, we put it back. You know, Dildos we... that big are expensive, I'm sure. That's a lot, <laughs> not... a lot of materials. <laughs> um, but it was, it was embarrassing. When the people eventually came home and they knew that they knew what we knew, yeah, they were a bit embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So for people who are interested in becoming firefighters, is it a really is it quite a rigorous process? Um, I suppose rigorous is the word that, that's competitive, I think, is a better word, in that mm. it's, there's so many people apply for so few positions. It's a very popular job. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have it. And um, but in terms of recruitment, it starts the, the recruitment for this year starts next week. I gave you the web address because I can't remember it again. Go on. Ooh, what is can't it? I remember. I think it's <laughs> fire.nsw.com.gov.au forward slash recruitment. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Google it. Google it, you'll find it. Fire but, New South Wales recruit. But, um, you, but Google it. and um, But yeah, have, have a look at the criteria. Um, most people listen to this, uh, if you're over 18, they're eligible. You've got to be an Australian citizen. You've got to have HSC or equivalent. You've got to have a driver's license, I think. Uh, and that's all the eligible, eligibility to sit the test. So the rest of it is just how good you look in a calendar. Uh, there is that's, that comes towards the end of the process, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but now there's a cognitive exam, which is sort of all these, you know, wheels spinning, and if this wheel's spinning that way and this wheel's spinning that way, which way's the third wheel going to spin? It's all sort of that. Sort oh, of so exam. it's kind of IQ stuff. That's it's, interesting. It's, it's IQ stuff. Yeah, that's that's the first round of the exam. Exam. If you pa- if you pass that, you get congratulations. Welcome to the second round. Yeah. Awesome. And it's, it's, it narrows down, and then you know, about the third or fourth exam is a physical fitness test and all that kind of stuff, agility. So when can people go for their, their jobs? Like, when's the next recruitment process happening? The next recruitment starts on in, on Monday. The online testing starts on Monday. I think the window of opportunity is open for a couple of weeks. Might be a bit more. As I said, if you go to the site, it'll tell you. Um, but, yeah, but I, I, I encourage people to have a look at it, especially for women to have a look at it. A lot of women don't consider jobs in the fire brigade. And um, the fire brigade, I won't say they're pushing women to join the fire brigade, but they're trying to encourage pe- women to realise, hey, you can do this job too. A lot of women just think, firemen, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be Superman to be a fireman. You need to be fit. You need to be physically fit. Um, you don't need to be Superman. And I think the Fabregat want women to know that. Want women, more women apply. A diverse work, workplace, a fantastic workplace. Women have a lot to offer, and um, they is should that, consider it. Is that reflected in like the recruitment process? Are they going to make space for women? They're trying to make space for. I, I don't. Again, I don't fully understand the, the the mechanics of it, but they are trying to encourage women to join. And I believe that they they intend to take a lot more women in this round than 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 they previously done. How they manage that, I'm, I'm not sure. All right, awesome. Well, go for it, guys, if you're interested. And uh, our next track is going to be from Models. Now, who are these guys? The Models are the first band I crept out of the house to see when I was about 16. Um, They they were the first Aussie band that I really 
liked. You know, I, was, I, said, I, was, I think I was about 16. This song you're going to play came out, yeah, when I was about 16. I loved, on a 10-inch single, not 12-inch album, not 7-inch single, but on a 10-inch called Cut Lunch. And um, I saw them at, I think it was called like the Settler's Rest in Punchbowl. I walked from Padstow to Punchbowl, um, which is now called the Croatian Community Centre or something like that. But um, yeah, they've, they've, I've been a big fan of theirs ever since, yeah. Yep. Perfect.
FBI 94.5 out of the box on your radio right now. My name's Ash Berdebez and I'm joined in the studio by Matt Murphy, who brought in that track. And what what is that voice all about? Well, just, yeah, I, I love I don't the way know. he sings. Well, saying, I, don't, I don't know how he developed that singing style and why. He, I mean, from their first song on their first album, that's how he was singing. He doesn't talk like that. I've heard him talk at his gigs and stuff. He just decided to sing like that, <laughs> like he's got a cold. I love it. So um, I, I was thinking maybe we should talk about uh, the book that you've written. So did, did you always want to be an historian? No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. If, I, I tell people a lot. If the young, if the twenty-year-old me could see that I've written a history book, they'd be they'd be embarrassed. <laughs> I, and I, I, my old English teacher's got a copy. I failed English at school. I never did history at school. Um, so yeah, I'm just an old man that discovered history. I think yeah. Amazing. So how did you come to actually write this book? Then? I I um, was doing a history degree at university, and uh, this book was an offshoot of a very very small story I I um, was using as part of a larger essay. And once I'd written the essay, I then sort of chased this little thread of a story, and I didn't. I had no idea at the time I was writing a book. I had no idea I was writing a book until I'd written it. I was. I really just. I was collating information before I knew it had forty thousand words. And I thought, I think I've written a book. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So it, basically, your book it's a story of Newtown and Erskineville before they even existed. So we're talking right. about like the nineteen eighteen fifties actually. Eight, well, yeah, from from seventeen ninety to, to finishes in eighteen fifty. The bulk of the book finishes in eighteen fifty seven. Yeah. Yeah. And it finishes with the biggest court case the country had ever seen, and how it, no one had written about it before it still amazes me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like I think the longest running at the time in at any time, British it, colony. It was the longest running court case um, in, in the in the the colony. Um, it, it was featured in the Times and the New York Post. Tasmanian Mercury covered it. You know, all, went, 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 went global. Yeah. Yeah. Not was only was deal. it the longest court case, but you also have the longest subtitle go for any it. book that I've ever seen. Go on then. Go on. Okay. An intriguing tale from the early history of Sydney, wherein is unearthed the dastardly doings of shady convicts, lazy bureaucrats, disreputable lawyers, troubled governors, scheming businessmen, manipulative brides, and other scurrilous and deceitful rogues to document the unfolding of the drama of what was the longest and most expensive court case in Australia regarding that fertile valley of 210 acres, which now contain much of the suburbs of Newtown and Erskineville, known as the Newtown Ejectment Case. All one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> it is all one sentence, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Um, that's the book's title. It's just called Weight of Evidence. You've read the subtitle. And you, and you said you're going to do it in an old world accent. I, was, <laughs> I did. I'm so sorry. I was disappointed sorry. that you did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that basically covers it all. So I guess, you know, it's it features convicts and, and kind of, you know, freemen or freed convicts. It's, it's a story of how Newtown and Erskineville came to be. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the founding fathers of Newtown and Erskineville, yeah. And okay. So how did a giant Irish potato farmer come to own much of what is now Newtown and Erskineville? He, well, he was granted by the governor um, in two grants in, seven, in the 1790s. Uh, nearly all of Erskineville and about half of Newtown was his land. Um, but he was a potato farmer. How did he get there? Well, he, he, was, he, was, he came out on the second fleet as the superintendent of convicts. He was the, the, you know, the, 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 one of the head honchos in the colony at the time. Uh, but being Irish, he was not very popular. Mm. And uh, he ended up getting a convict living with him on that land. How did that happen? He had a, well, the convicts were assigned to various people. He was assigned to someone up the road, but he conveniently just moved himself into Nicholas Devine's house. Uh, his name is Bernard Rochford. Rochford is now the longest street in Erskineville. And um, uh, basically, when, when old Devine died, Rochford just took, took the opportunity to opportunity to subdivide the land and sell it all off, which he had no right to do as a convict. He had no right to subdivide and sell off the land. And most of the people who bought, bought land from him also knew he had no right to subdivide and sell off the land. And then he conveniently dies. And then the original guy's um, family back in Ireland are saying, writing to the government saying, is our uncle dead yet? Can we come and claim our land? And uh, they eventually had to come out and claim it. And by that time, the land had been developed and big, beautiful houses put on it. And But everyone, nearly everyone who was now a property owner realised fully that they 
shouldn't have bought it in the first place. And the, the, the divine family who came out from Ireland was the rightful owners. So that's why we had a court case about it. Yeah. It was, so what kind of people were actually buying the land even well, though they, knew they couldn't, they shouldn't? You know. That's that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about the the Attorney General, the Lord Mayor of Sydney, various magistrates, um, the the uh, editor of the Sydney Morning Herald, the guy that started AMP, the guy that started CSR, mayors, councillors, aldermen, merchants. Dodgy, one and all. Well, yeah, well, they're all, you know, big you know, solicitors, you know. So, yeah, they've got, you know, well, they're, they're people of power, yeah, and yet they, they all knew exactly that they shouldn't have done what they did. Um, you look at the street names of Erskine now, and they're nearly all their street names are just all dodgy characters. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of want to tra- backtrack to when Nicholas Devine, the one who actually originally owned all that land, yes. why did he end up with Rochford living with him? Like, why was he cool with living with this convict guy? Um, he befriended him. I use that for term befriend loosely, but um, Nicholas Devine was an old dude. He's living by himself. He was repeatedly bashed and robbed. And so Rochard promised to look after him, uh, oh, yeah. which, which he did by on, on his terms, more or less, yeah. and yeah. Did he actually look after him, Rochford? Well, he, well I mean, in, in, you can say in one sense that, yeah, he looked after, after Rochard moved in, Devine was not robbed and bashed anymore, uh, but Rochard's motives weren't quite as, um, you know, Nice as he, you know, as he'd, as he'd like to think, yeah. So did Divine actually kind of get swindled into writing that will? Well, it's, it's giving too much of the story away to say he got swindled into writing it. Suffice to say, it's highly unlikely he wrote it because, and that's giving, probably being a bit too frank. Well, giving, what was his mental state like in those, well, yeah, in those well, late days of his life? Well, his mental state wasn't much known of, of the time, but when it got brought out in court, there was lots and lots and lots of witnesses coming forward to explain how Nicholas Devine was in his later years. Um, a lot of them relate to sugar. Um, he had a penchant for sugar. He had a Ponchon for running around naked. Uh, he couldn't, you know, couldn't hold an often fork. I mean, that's what's said. That's, how could he sign a will if he couldn't even pick up an often fork or a spoon? He I, could, yeah, he, I thought sugar sorry. loving. I thought sugar loving when I when I read that bit was a was a, just a really creative slur of the, those days. But what did it actually refer to? Well, he he, he liked sugar. He, he just liked sugar. He, um, there was a, there was an anecdote there that he um, sent his steak back to the kitchen to have more sugar put on it, or that he was found hiding under the bed with a bag of sugar. And because he was deaf and part blind, he didn't realise that people were actually looking at him and laughing at him with his head in a sugar bag. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, all, all these strange tales got related long after he was long dead, long after all the protagonists were dead in the court case, yeah. I feel kind of sorry for him. Yeah, I, I mean, it just demo- the whole court case demonstrated how how corrupt and how sinister this transaction between Devine and Rochard was, even though they were both long dead, yeah. Poor sugar-loving dude. Poor sugar-loving dude. I was long, you know, well, he was dead by the time. All right, well, we've got uh, Hunters and Collectors now, and the way to go out is the track that we've got here. Now, why do you want to bring this on? Um, Hunters and Collectors were great. I mean, in, in their heyday, and they were just one of the, they were the best live band I've consistently ever seen. I was 18, 19, 20 when they were the, at their peak, of their peak physical powers. But the first time I saw them, they were supporting this other band. I was 16, 17 at the Trade Union Club. <coughs> excuse me. And, this, um, and they, were, they, were, they, were, they were sensational. They blew me away but the band they were supporting this lead singer came out with a skull panelled on his chest with wiggly arms coming out of it drug fueled his hair was a mess and he grabbed the microphone and just said hands up who wants to die and it scared the shit out of me absolute bejesus out of me and I don't remember anything about that gig other than I just wanted to go home <laughs> but Hunters and Collectors stuck with me the support band stuck with me yeah and, I've, yeah. and their, their, their first three or four albums are just wonderful absolutely wonderful
You're an FBI, 94.5. For one moment, thought I 
94.5 you listen to a bit of Joy Division there 24 hours one of their best one of their best yeah one of the early ones one of their best so Matt Murphy it's been nice spending the past hour with you and I just want to ask you how did you come across that song that song I found at Bankstone Library because Bankstone Library when I was a kid had cassette tapes you could actually borrow cassette tapes my entire music if I can call it a career, started with borrowing tapes from Bankstone Library. It opened my eyes up to, well, my ears, sorry, to so much stuff, you know. I was, I was just listening to Queen and Led Zeppelin and Cultures like everyone else until I discovered Bankstone Library. And they could, you know, and just listen to this music. I mean, there's no great guitarist in there. There's no great drummer. He doesn't seem like Freddie Mercury. It's like, oh, my God, you know. It's got vibe. It's got, it's, it's visceral, you know. It's just, you know, it's, it just hit me. I mean, and yeah. from there I've moved on to The Cure and I love Gang of Four and all that kind of stuff. But I discovered it all via this song, by this album, the second album close I was yeah the first of a new generation of Matt Murphy that sort of suddenly yeah was annoying my mother with my music taste yeah great and that's what you did before the internet to find music go to the, the local what, library go like or, or just wait wait for Countdown to play it yeah we, you know which they never played a song like that anyway you know yeah Crazy. it was very difficult to find what you liked so before we take our last song I should mention that if anyone was interested by the uh, the sounds of the book of uh, Erskineville and Newtown's history you can get it uh, if you email Matt at um, weight of evidence at hotmail.com. Um, I, I sell them for about 25 bucks. I'd rather hand deliver it if you live local than post it for $32 because I'd rather give it to you than whack you up in a post office. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's 25 bucks. Weight of evidence at hotmail.com and we'll work out how to get it to you. It'd be great, yeah. Yeah, there's so many great um, witness and, and like evidence things coming through and just like the way that people were just so ratchet back in like, you know, 1850s Sydney. People yeah. were just ridiculous. <laughs> it, was a, it was a big story at the time, that's right, yeah. yeah. So, what's our last song? Our last song is Someone I Care About by Modern Lovers. I, the Modern Lovers are my favourite, 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 favourite band ever. Um, the songs are just simple, plaintive, blokey, hard on their sleeve. Some are ballads, you know, I don't usually like ballads that much, but the ballads are strong. Mm-hmm. You know, the lyrics are always just so strong and honest and earnest. He, you can tell he means it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I could have picked any song of this album, but I had to pick this one and dedicate it to my wonderful partner Pip, who's not listening because she's working. She'll get the podcast, and um, yeah, but it's, it's for her because yeah, she's someone I care about. Awesome, thanks so much, Matt. It's been so nice having you on.
much. You say, oh, I don't care what you guys. 